Ready, VTR one and two. Ready on camera one with key. Three. All right, two and two. Get ready. One. And cue them. And go. All remote standby, please. This okay, we're going to George. Cool. Say, the F-14 is one of the most difficult the planes to master. To Executive the producer. Got one of the most difficult <laughs> I'll tell you something else. You know, I'm getting less and less air time. They don't think I'm at all anchor material. I can't believe I just risked my life for a network to test my face with focus groups. Is there any particular area that you feel strongest in? To be honest, I was best at anchor. So, you have almost no experience, and you can't write. What I don't know, I can learn. What I do know, nobody can teach. I'll buy you a drink. There's a big thing um, going on over at the Italian embassy. I'm not sure I'd be good company tonight. I am beginning to repel people I'm trying to seduce. Wouldn't this be a great world if insecurity and desperation made us more attractive? If needy were a turn-on? Hello and welcome back to the B-Movie Podcast. I'm your host, I'm one of your hosts, I should say, Adam Kautzer, and with me today is your other co-host... Scott Phillips. And today we are continuing our summer of comedy, um, which this movie is possibly the centerpiece, even though it didn't come in the center. Uh, but it is it's I like rewatching it. Um, Scott, I don't know if you agree with me, but rewatching this movie, it felt a little bit more drama than comedy um, just because of the second half of the film. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> But today we are talking about uh, James L. Brooks's 1987's uh, or 1987 um, broadcast news uh, starring Holly Hunter, Albert Brooks, and uh, the uh, the favorite of the B Movie podcast, which will become apparent in uh, a few months, uh, <laughs> William Hurt. Uh, so this movie is like this this movie like. I, there's so much to talk about, but about this movie, but this is a movie that I feel like, like to be perfectly honest, if it was made today, it, it'd be a Netflix series. Like that's, and that's a sad state of affairs. Uh, that's right. something this smart, this astute, funny, emotional, um, kind of big in a way. Like I didn't realize it, uh, like the rewatch that I was, uh, the rewatch that I did for the, for the episode, I didn't realize how big and sweeping this movie is at a certain point and like what they do just to show what a news organization does. Um, but yeah, uh, like before we get started on our thoughts, uh, just kind of like from like, I always, I, I want to get into the habit of doing this because some of the, sometimes the shit is funny, like trying to read the IMDB storyline synopsis. So this is what I, uh, this is what IMDB says. Um, Basket Case Network news producer Jane Craig, who's played by Holly Hunter. First off, she's not a fucking basket case, you asshole. Um, falls for news reporter Tom Grunick, a uh, a pretty boy who represents the trend towards entertainment news she despises. Okay, let's let's take a second and go. Pretty boy, William Hurt? No. Handsome? Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. Um, Aaron Altman, played by Albert Brooks, a talented but plain correspondent. Uh, I'm sorry, you dipshit. Um, he's not a plain correspondent. Like, <laughs> he's anything but plain. Uh, carries an unrequited torch for Jane. Sparks fly between the three as the network prepares for big changes, and both the news and Jane must decide between style and substance. Well, they got it about 25% right. Um, do better, <laughs> IMDb, with the idiots that are having you, like, actually like write this stuff out uh, because yeah no this is kind of not what it is but it is anyways um so scott uh this is something that you chose this is a movie that you chose uh and i was just wanting to get um like a reason not a reason why i know why but kind of like just explain to the audience um broadcast news and the kind of love affair you've had with it yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I feel like every time I break into one of these stories that I'm like, you know, telling tales to my grandchildren, like I'm ancient or mm. something. Uh, but, uh, you know, there is a good 10-year uh, gap between you and me. Mm -hmm. uh, and so a lot of my theatrical experiences were your home video experiences <laughs> some years later. 
but broadcast news just really hit me at a time in my life where I was just going to be completely receptive to it. Uh, it dropped, I believe, was it a September release? No, it was actually this a, up at one it was point. A, it was a Christ, It was a limited Christmas release. It looks like in '87, okay. and then it went wider in January of '88. Okay. Uh, so that is the first, that would have been the first, uh, semester of my college career at journalism school. Mm. And so that is the reason I wasn't broadcast. Uh, my major was, was print journalism. I was focused on writing, not on, uh, being on a camera. And, uh, and so it just, it just hit me. I mean, it was both kind of like inspiring as a journalism student, you know, that you would want to do these exciting things and, and report on things. And so, uh, the behind the scenes news stuff I found fascinating because of course at the time it was, uh, you know, very cutting edge. And, and I would submit that even today it's probably pretty accurate portrayal. It's just the, uh, you know, they're not running around carrying giant video cassettes, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, but otherwise, you know, except for kind of the technological anachronisms, it's probably still a pretty accurate portrayal uh, of a lot of the way that news works. Uh, but so it, it just kind of landed at the, the perfect time. Uh, me and a couple of people that I had graduated from high school with. Uh, our little group that went to the University of Georgia, uh, we were journalism majors. And so we all went as like a little reunion kind of thing to go see this movie together. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so it, but it's it's what really my tastes have kind of evolved into. I mean, they were that way then, but even more so now, which is clever writing witty humor, uh, rather than just, you know, kind of gross out humor, uh, though, you know, I mean, at times, depending on what it is, that can be funny too. I don't mean to sound like some total comedy snob over here, but, uh, but I love a smart script and, and, and I love, you know, smart characters and like kind of witty banner and people having, you know, good lines and everything like that. And so I think that's one of the reasons that when you say it appears to be more drama than than comedy and it's just you realize in a way how much comedy style has changed yeah i mean comedy has become as set piece driven as like action movies absolutely you know we're gonna have this central scene in a bar where all these things go wrong and everything and it'll be a big you know comedy set piece or or even films like a like a game night or something like that that we uh, previously discussed you know the the dog and the bleeding and and all that kind of stuff i mean there's like you know an extended sequence there the bullet removal sequence that kind of thing mm -hmm. and and really the only kind of set piece in broadcast news is of course the the literal meltdown of Aaron uh, when he gets his opportunity to anchor. Yeah. And the rest of it is mostly people just trading really sharp lines with each other and, you know, little, you know, jabs at each other or little, you know, asides or what have you. And so I think just kind of the, the rhythm of this film is, is different than what comedy has evolved into. I mean, it's one that, you can't really be walking around doing your laundry and doing other stuff and then doing a, what did he just say? You know, you'll, you'll miss the, the, the great lines and the funny moments uh, if you're not really just kind of sitting and letting yourself get absorbed in it. You're absolutely right. Um, it is definitely, um, is something from a bygone era. Like it, it's, it's not, it's not the yucks laughter it's it's definitely one of those things where it's an evolution from um from like the comedies of Billy Wilder and Ernst Lubitsch where it's funny but it's all character based and it's all dialogue driven though like you said that there are set pieces like the other one is the um editing of the um it's the editing of the the news piece that Aaron's working at the beginning of the at the beginning of the film um like you know with Joan Cusack like screaming mm -hmm. out loud um mm -hmm. <laughs> about it to finish like the edit bay and stuff like which is something that's so 
it it that's so old school that somebody would never nobody would understand that because then it would it would it would today it would be about the downloading of it yeah like yeah, and exactly. her screaming watching like a progress bar or exactly something. which to me is not as funny as the whole like set piece of her like running like the kid the sliding under the the filing cabinet, filing cabinet and stuff um it's but like you know i'm not trying like you know i'm not trying to take away from comedies now or com like your or or saying that things were better then but broadcast news is definitely like it almost feels like like comedies like intelligent comedies peaked here yeah like it literally peaked here like i mean brooks peaked here like I, I fully yeah, believe yeah. that. Like yeah, I do too. Like he's only he's only directed like I think it's like six films. Let's see here. Terms of Endearment, Broadcast News, I'll Do Anything, As Good as It Gets, Spanglish, How Do You Know? So yeah, six. And like broadcast news, like I mean, so like for me, and I'll ask you, um, Terms of Endearment is good it's just it's i don't know if it's aged as well as like other movies of its era like it feels right even even it even as it's because it's a cancer movie um yeah it, there's only so much that can be done like there's only so much sour and sweet that can be put into it that doesn't for me at least that doesn't well, and, and, and go ahead. and part of what happens with those movies is when you did it in the early days and then it becomes kind of a genre unto itself. Yeah. You know, like the disease of the week movie on lifetime or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, then, then when you go back and look at it, you can't help but look at it through the lens of all the water that's been under the bridge since then. This is true. So, so intellectually you can tell yourself, yeah, but none of that stuff existed when this film was made. And so this was a harder hitting. I mean, I can remember that it was, you know, a phenomenon. I mean, especially, you know, mm -hmm. uh, with, uh, with women, you know, they would go in groups and, you know, I mean, I can remember my mom coming home and saying, Oh, it was so good. You know, I just cried and cried and, you know, that kind of thing. And so it was, you know, a very effective film at the time that it was made. But like I said, you can't help but look at, you know, just all the baggage that that concept now brings with it uh, because it's been done so many times since. No, absolutely. And OK, so like for me, the other thing is, is that so like Terms of Endearment is super front loaded. It's a two hour and 12 minute movie that spends the first two hour or the first hour. And I'd say about an hour and 50 minutes being just this movie. And then what it's really about, like Roba dopes you in the last like 20 to 25 minutes. Like right. it's it like, you know, it's it's an effective like plot device that Larry McTurt, uh, McNurchie. I can never say his name. <laughs> Larry McMurtry. La yes, exactly. Larry McMurtry uses because he does this in a lot of his his stories. It's a device that he uses. Like he builds up the story to finally get to where you need to be. But it's all this other stuff beforehand, like a life lived um, right. to make his point, um, i.e. he did it in Lonesome Dove. Like he spends 600 pages in Lonesome Dove to get to the last 200 pages, which really matter, which you find out that it's never about the cattle drive. It's never about all of this stuff. It's this it's this not only this relationship between these two men, but it's also the relationship between a father and a son who's been rejected. Like, but it's spent all this time doing this. And like, like it's it's good. It's just like broadcast news is his apex like this is where he yeah. worked towards this is like like all of the work like i mean like if you like so just as a little bit of a backstory about james l brooks for everybody james l brooks came to movies very late in his career like he spent all of his time in tv i mean he's the man who made like this is the thing that i always think of is that you know as a film guy i'm always about film but when you were the man who created the Larry, uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show, like that's, that's some shit that they, <laughs> and then you created, yeah. you created Rhoda 
and then you also created Taxi. Like, so, like, the thing is, is that for him, he spent his life, like, his career, like, a big chunk of his career in the 70s when he was in his, um, like, you know, like, 60s and 70s, he spent most of his time from his early 30s into his mid-40s making, like, work workplace comedies. And so, like, Terms of Endearment is a misnomer because he's dealing with something that is familiar to him, like a woman's struggle to be a woman. Like, you know, um, even though now I, I think that that's probably a little problematic for most people, um, especially, you know, like, but whatever, that's neither here nor there. But Broadcast <laughs> News, Broadcast News is his fertile ground, if you really think about it, because it's a workplace comedy drama yep. in where... Like what I like, like, I think we've talked about this before. What I love, and it's the reason why I love Aaron Sorkin's writing and, uh, and creating like, you know, his creations so much is that, that what James L. Brooks does so well is put you into like, it's world building, but he puts you into a world that you know nothing about, but by the end, you feel like you're an expert in it. Yep. Yeah. And, and the and the okay. other thing is 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 how the the humor is loaded with kind of like a world weariness or a little bit of cynicism about the industry. Yes. And yes. so it works as a joke, but then it also works as, you know, an exploration of the world that they're in, like as throwaway as it may seem, this one has always stuck with me toward the beginning of the movie where Albert Brooks is chasing down this fella to get a quote from him. And he's <laughs> yes. like, do you have anything to say? And the guy goes, fuck, 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 fuck. Do you think you can use that? And he looks <laughs> at him and goes, depends on how slow the news, news day is. <laughs> yeah, I and, love that. And, you know, and the great thing about that is, is, you know, I mean, it's just a funny rejoinder, but loaded in that is him saying, well, you know, you never know if it's a slow day, we might just, you know, sell out and show this just for the spectacle of it. Yep. Uh, and, and so it's like each one of these jokes kind of has an undercurrent. I mean, even the little kid at the end, Clifford, Mm -hmm. His little, his little white man Afro uh, headed little uh, kid. Kid, yes. Uh, at the end, when he goes, "Do you know who this is?" When he's introducing Tom, yeah. And the kid goes, "The big joke." <laughs> and he goes, "Whoa, where'd you come up with that? I don't know. Kids say the darndest things. I don't know where he came up with that." And you know, but even that is loaded with, you know, you're not a journalist. You're just some pretty face. Uh, you know, the big joke. I mean, so it, it's like every just little one liner has all of this additional text that kind of goes with it. And, Absolutely. and it comes from that authenticity that you're talking about. It's it's like it's like we're all in on the insider humor. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Well, and then there's this like there's an added layer to it, which is, is that everything is built upon itself. Like when he says the joke, like if you, if you remember, if you go back a couple of scenes, Aaron is talking to uh, Jane about like how he wants to get married so that he can have a little kid that will be able to like, like he's basically able to educate this little kid into being basically a mini little Aaron, which literally comes <laughs> right. true at right. the end. Um, right. Which is kind of great. Um, it, it's uh, so like broadcast news. It's like it, like it literally. Like I said, it was like it's like the apex of like what comedy could have been, and it's kind of funny because it it kind of it, it kind of like I don't even like it. It predicts a lot of things, but it also predicts its own downfall because if you look at this as like the studio system and where comedy went. Like this literally set like, you know, this literally tells you in like five years, you're going to see the rise of Jim Carrey, like the infotainment, like there's no more intelligence there. Like it literally kind of does this whole trajectory of the news anchor as as the superstar. I mean, because like there's that moment. OK, so like one of the things I love about this movie and one of the things I love about like this era is that Jack Nicholson takes this role. And did you know that he didn't get paid? He 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 didn't want to be paid for this role. 
Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, he he actually like Brooks and Fox were were going to pay him like what would be the equivalent of his quote, which is like which would have been at the time like two million dollars because he was like going to be there for five days to do like right. all of the work that he does. Uh, and he's not credited at the beginning, guys. So like but this is also not yeah, a they spoiler. leave it as like a little surprise cameo kind of. Yes, it it definitely is. And um, he's like the kind of Walter Cronkite, but not more Tom Brokaw. Right. The the more of the Tom Brokaw, like, uh, like news anchor. Um, and there's this moment where, like, they're cutting the news organization uh, <laughs> and the the news director. <laughs> like like you know like uh you know uh Nicholson's character is like expounding the the shittiness of of like you know uh the layoffs the layoffs yeah. and it's a great line because he says he goes you know all these people are losing their jobs because uh because some assholes couldn't program Wednesday and yep. and if only there were something I could do. do. And then the news director basically looks at him and goes, "Well, you could shave a million dollars off your uh, off your salary." And the look, like it's a classic, like I'm gonna fucking cut you. Look yep. that Nicholson gives, yep. and he goes, "Kidding, kidding, you like my." I don't, I don't know where that came from. I I just uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're all we're all in stress. We're all so stressed. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, and it's like. I like I love that like uh, like but at the same time it's so it's so interesting to see that like you know there's this this thing of like you know money but Nicholson said he just didn't want it he wanted to do it because he loved Brooks and he loved the the movie and like he just didn't feel like like it would be it, maybe it, they got tight on terms of endearment yeah no I mean well I mean you know he he goes and he does as good as it gets and then he does mm -hmm. the, the the worst movie of Brooks's career the tone deaf how do you know like that movie is just terrible right. I'm sorry like there's just I couldn't even make it through it I made it through a half an hour of that movie and I was like what the fuck is this and then I left <laughs> um <laughs> but uh yeah like Nicholson is like the did you know that it was supposed to be Burt Reynolds no, I didn't. Yeah, know that. it was initially. Wow, that's a switch. Yeah, seriously, like uh, that's a that's a that that's what they call that's what the kids nowadays call a glow up. If I've ever heard one, um, right. it, but the funnier thing is, is that so Reynolds doesn't do this movie. He doesn't do the cameo, um, even though they were going to also pay him his quote. Like they were going to pay him for five days of work, um, but then he goes and does switching channels, which is the low rent, low budget version of. Of broadcast news mm -hmm. like which is basically his girl friday by way of like modernist but just not as good like i i find it entertaining but it's not broadcast news yeah no not much is <laughs> no it isn't that is that's very true um but uh yeah so like this like like one of the things that i found very interesting in my research of turn uh, of broadcast news um is that Brooks spent like two or three years like in news organizations, like just just like doing what reporters do, which is just gathering right. research. Um, and it they, feels like it. Absolutely. I mean, it feels because you know to to say that he was in the television industry is true, but you know the the production and shooting and what have you of of a TV series is mm -hmm. certainly different than the news business. Yep. And so that doesn't surprise me because it seems like such an authentic behind the scenes, uh, kind of uh, film. I mean, even just, you know, the little pointers on how to look best as an anchor and, yeah. you know, sitting on the, the tail of your jacket or, you know, the way to punch the words and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, those are the kind of things that come from that kind of research. You couldn't have that scene uh, if you hadn't talked to some people who've really done it and uh, and then fashion the scene out of that knowledge. No, absolutely. Um, so like that, like I was going to get into that. It, um, I was going to ask you because I like since seeing this movie, like, and again, like you said, like we're about a decade behind one another. Um, I didn't see broadcast news until probably about um, a little bit before um, a little bit before 
as good as it gets, like maybe about a year, like maybe about the time that the, the trailer went out, like I decided to do like this whole thing of like, okay, well let's go back to his films and take a look at them. I've not mm-hmm. seen, I've really never given terms and um, broadcast news and I'll do anything a chance. I know him from the Simpsons. And so like I did. Oh, and I also know him from the Cameron Crowe work, the produced work that he did for mm-hmm. for him, uh, Say Anything, and um, Jerry Maguire, which are both amazing films, too, in, in and of themselves. Um, but then when I went back, it's just like, there's so much that I remember specifically about things. And one of the, the things was, like, the shirt, uh, the, the coattail. Like, I still do that to mm-hmm. this day. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, do you do, do you do that? Like when you're on a zoom, like, cause like I was just recently on a zoom thing um, right. where I had to wear a suit. And the first thing I did was like, I always remember, Oh, tuck my tail in. Okay. Yep. I look yeah. better now. Cause you just, you're naturally forced to stand up and forced to be in a posture, a good posture. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, the interesting thing for me is, is, you know, somehow I managed to come full circle and I started out as a as a newspaper journalism yep. major. That's literally what it was called, which of course is sadly uh, a dying industry. Uh, and uh, and then I've come full circle to now. I do you know film uh, criticism and and pieces for WRBL, which is a CBS affiliate mm-hmm. in uh, in Georgia. And so pre-COVID, they kind of came up with new rules as to how we do some stuff remotely now uh, during COVID. But pre-COVID, once a week, I went into the actual studio, stood there in front of a television camera, and uh, did a review uh, on a on a film that we would then intercut with, you know, visuals, pieces of the trailer, stuff like that. And so I can remember going in there the first day, and man, these lights were just blazing. And I was like, oh God, oh no. No, it's I've I've laughed at the Albert Brooks <laughs> wedding yep. anchor scene for so many years that this is karma. It's it's gonna come back to get me. I'm just gonna sit here with you know rivulets of sweat running down my face, uh, and of course I mean that didn't happen. You you adjust, but uh, but that nightmare scenario uh, kind of uh, kind of enters your mind. Uh, but it did. Some of those tips did occur to me because what you realize is you can't write for television like you write for print, yep. you know, with these long introductory clauses or, you know, compound sentences or all this kind of stuff. I mean, hell, you practically had run out of breath saying them. So you learn to kind of chop up your sentences a little bit and be a little bit more, uh, you know, direct and, and kind of to the point and everything like that, because you're going to have to say these things. And so it has a different rhythm than than written work. Uh, and so a lot of those kind of things made me flash back to broadcast news uh, where they're, you know, talking about writing their copy. And and uh, I think one of the characters is like uh, telling Aaron, wow, you know, your copy is just a pleasure to read uh, and, and everything like that. And it is just kind of a different world, even when it comes to writing. Yeah, no, it, it, it absolutely is. It's such a it's such a telling and knowing like 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 hearing that is like it's that's where the authenticity comes from is like like that's where the research like so like i'm i'm a big guy on research like i love research i mean as a writer like i think that part of part of your duty as a writer to do some research or even like as a podcaster you you know do some research do background if you don't love that your your work is going to show and It's gonna. Oh, come- you and I have a problem of getting a film and then thinking, you know, I should probably watch all of the other films made by this filmmaker before <laughs> I review this one. Exactly. It's like you can so create exponential work for yourself that it would just become impossible to do the actual job. Uh, so I know exactly what you're talking about. And like I, I feel Brooks more than any other filmmaker because of the time frame that he spends between films is because you can get lost in research. Like I'm actually writing something creatively right now that I'm lost in the research of because it's interesting to me. And I know that I have to get on back on track, but I'm okay with being lost in the research. And I think that sometimes that helps you more than anything else. And I feel like this movie, because you see switching channels and you can tell that 
switching channels has no reference point for anything based on the news. Like, you can just feel it. There's an inauthenticity into that movie, whereas in here, it's completely authentic. I mean, like, even going to the point to where, like, the cast themselves are, like, like, you know, they feel, like, and the whole thing is, is that Brooks casted the film, the the smaller point, uh, the smaller um, roles with real news people. Like, that's the thing, is that other than maybe the Joan Cusack uh, character and, um, and, uh, and the other, uh, and the other, like, like, small speaking parts, like, like Robert Prosky's character Mm-hmm. most of them are like from news agencies like they're they're news people like they're actual they're the actual people that do the actual jobs that they're that they're they're scheduled to do like the guy who plays um the news director uh paul moore played by peter ha- uh hacks he was an actual news anchor and a dc correspondent that retired a year before the film came out like the year before the the film started production and he mm-hmm. had a relationships with with Brooks because of the research and he hired him so he knew exactly this 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 particular kind of news director and so like it just kind of like it informs everything like like sure yeah well know. i mean the i mean the the screenplay itself the character dynamics mm-hmm. are clearly chosen from a researched perspective Absolutely. you're going to have a producer you're going to have like a field correspondent you're going to have the new anchor guy. And then, like you said, and then you have like the station manager and news director, things like that. And so each of the central characters in this is a, a perfect illustration of their role. Absolutely. You know, you, you can tell that, you know, Holly Hunter just 100% seems like a producer, you know, mm-hmm. I love that scene where she's like, no, no no, we're going to get it, you know, and, and everything. And just like yelling at somebody on the phone and hangs up. And the guy's like, I had no idea she was this good, <laughs> you know? And, and the punchline is of course, you know, ever the demanding, you know, news producer, uh, failure is not an option. You know, we'll get it done. We'll get it done on time. And so you can just see that, you know, these these characters were conceived from someone who understood the industry and not someone who said, oh, let's write a love triangle and then just impose these labels on them in the movie. No, absolutely. And um, uh, we'll get back to Holly Hunter uh, and the amazingness that is this performance, uh, because there's a couple of like key things that I feel like. Wow, like that makes it even better. But like, like staying on the love triangle. What I love about it is that it's a love triangle that's not a love triangle. Like, like it's yeah, yeah, it, no, exactly. Yeah. It it comes from a very real world place where, like these these relationships are a hundred percent more complicated than anything that I've ever seen in a movie. And I think that that's what I keep on going back to that I love so much is that it's not as simple as like. Brooks and um, Brooks and Hurt are like rivals, like they become like these kind of frenemies that like their mm-hmm. their relationship is a lot more complicated because each of them helps one another for maybe not altruistic reasons, but then they end up having like this weird, like I said, like a frenemy relationship. And I love the fact that that like ultimately like it's it's hurt and um it's it's hurt and hunter's characters uh you know uh, uh Jane and Tom that are the relationship like they're not right. it's not it's not Brooks like Brooks has never been never in the picture though he is as right. this like this friend that just never never had like you know Holly Hunter's eye yeah, and, yeah, you just never, you know, never got out of the friend zone, as they say. Exactly. You know? you know, and 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 the interesting thing though is, is you know, and I use the term love triangle on purpose because I I was hoping that we would get into this, which is really none of the sides of that triangle are what you would expect them to be. Oh no, absolutely I not. I mean, it's like it's like the the William Hurt Holly Hunter side of things 
is more lust, infatuation, uh, kind of the heat of the relationship. Because in the end, she really doesn't respect him. No. Yeah, that, that's and, the thing. Yeah. And so she's, yeah, she's got to be with somebody that she can respect. And if they're going to be in her profession, ideally, if I were going to be her, her shrink, I would say, don't, don't date a fellow news person, you know, uh, go find yourself a, you know, veterinarian or a, you know, ophthalmologist or, you know, something, uh, other than a news person, uh, to date. But, but it's like, you would expect that you were saying the two men to be enemies. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're not, you would expect, you know, William Hurt and Holly Hunter uh, you know, to be like, actually like in love, they're not. No. And then you would kind of expect that same thing from the Albert Brooks, uh, Holly Hunter relationship. And then she's torn between the two people, but they're not, they're just, you know, very, very close friends who one side of it, uh, is, is in love with her, but she's not with him. No, absolutely. And and that's what I love about this film is that it's a love triangle that's not a love triangle, but it is because these are the things like so like like, you know, at, on my side of things to get personal, um, like this movie like has become more and more like as like, you know, like as I had gotten older and as I've been able to look at it from a, a, a clearer perspective from my life, like what I find interesting is that I've been in these kinds of triangles that are a lot more complicated than you would possibly think. And the thing is, is that everybody wants their, their life to be a romantic comedy. And <laughs> it's so you don't want your, like, you know, the kids that are in their twenties right now, fucking no, you do not want your life to be a, like you want to see what happens. It's this broadcast news is what happens when you get involved in work relationships. It becomes right. It becomes a disaster because the thing is, is that Albert Brooks, like Albert Brooks is um, Aaron. He's the one that like without even with just being a friend and not the thing is, is that he's like like in other movies, he would be deemed the asshole because he's the one that lays the the thought that that has the dagger that stabs that that stabs Tom in the back. Even though Tom absolutely deserves what happens because of what he does. Um, right. Because that go because Aaron knows exactly the kind of person Jane is and knows that this is something she needs to know yeah. about him. Yeah, he even says in the conversation that he debated telling her. Yeah. But he said, just, you know, knowing her to be who she is, I really thought you'd want to know. And, it, and and that's and that's the single camera uh, shoot where he sometimes how has a, a a look at the victim of this crime, but then we also have supposedly a real time look at him, and so he's letting her know how could that be if there was only one camera there? Yep. That you know he's he's performing. Absolutely, and it's smart on Brooks's part as a director and the way that Albert Brooks says it, it's n like the first time you fucking see that scene, you don't think anything of it. But every right. single time I go back to it, I watch Albert Brooks like a microscope because I want to see if he's trying to tell anything. And he doesn't, he just literally sits there in an offhand comment and says, Hey, did you, uh, that, uh, that, uh, the date rape, uh, story, you had just a single camera, right? A single camera crew. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. It, and Brooks, the way that Brooks plays it, and more importantly, the way that uh, James L. Brooks shoots it with with Michael Bayless as a cinematographer, they don't go into close up. It's a medium shot, and that, my my friends, is smart filmmaking and smart directing. That separates the idiots from the greats because you're telling something when you go in, and you don't want that to be told. You don't right. want an audience to go, oh, okay, yeah. that's important. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, Underscore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and because it's about like having an equal share in this in this triangle, this relationship triangle. And if you do that, then you make Aaron an asshole, 
which he's not like, you know, even when he yells at Holly Hunter, like at Jane at the apex of their, their like, you know, uh, the correspondence dinner when she comes to see him after he news anchors and he's feeling like shit because he literally, like you were saying the flop sweat. Um, and she like comes to console him. I mean, that's all complicated. That's a super complicated scene because you have Tom waiting who she's going to sleep with, you know, or she was going to sleep with. And then Albert Brooks, like feeling sorry for himself and literally yelling at her. And, but at the same time, everything feels equal sided. Like it's an equal sided triangle. It's, it's not skewed to one side. I mean, he even gets on the phone, like the funny, my favorite scene that has become like the favorite moment for me is the moment where she calls Tom up and Aaron gets on the phone with Tom and it's just right. like, it's not like, it's so just human where it's just like, Hey, she's going to be a little bit, bit buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> and that's it. It's not yeah. like, it's not like what we're conditioned to see in romantic comedies where it's like the rivals are like, I'm going to get you asshole. You wait in the street. Da, 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 stupid, stupid, stupid fucking right. no human no this is all right. like real human interactions and um anytime i see this film like there's a three-month period where i keep on thinking about it when i watch movies that are supposed romantic comedies and it just puts daggers into them like anything that comes up right now that isn't like on the level of a james l brooks film not even like this film but like on the level of a james l brooks film it just gets murked by me. Like, like my, my mind ends up hating it because it's just, it doesn't feel right. Like, because this film is done. It's such a special film in the way that it interacts with yeah. human nature. Oh yeah. And well, and the, and the, the humor is so built into the characters. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, that's the, the, the key to it all. You know, uh, my wife loves this movie. And she loves the Holly Hunter character because my wife is a lot like the Holly Hunter character uh, <laughs> in in the sense that, you know, there's this thing that uh, 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 I guess psychologists and whatnot will refer to as being disaster minded. Mm -hmm. And and so what that is, is you, you are troubleshooting everything that could possibly come up, but you do it to the extent of like those Geico commercials. Mm hmm. Like, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Things of, you know, uh, you know, don't wind up dead in a ditch, you know, uh, get Geico. And it all began because, like, you didn't brush your teeth or something. And so it's taking it out to the, you know, nth degree. And so you can see that with Holly Hunter from the taxi directions. Yes. Know, hopping in, telling some experienced cabbie the way that they need to drive and what street will be busy and where to take a ride and avoid this and that. And so there's that moment where um, uh, the the news uh, the the producer, uh, kind of the over uh, uber producer, uh, is talking to her at a party, and he goes, "You know, it must be nice to be the smartest person in the room." <laughs> and she looks at him real earnestly and goes, "It's awful." Full. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh... I'll actually, I'll do that. My wife and I, you know, in in the quotable lines kind of thing. Uh, she'll be sitting there figuring out something and she's like, so we don't need to do this because this is going to happen. And if we do that, then this is going to happen. So we need to do this. And I'll just wait a beat and look at her and go, it must be awful being the smart, you know, it must be <laughs> smart person in the room or whatever. Uh, and uh, and so uh, we always think back to that movie. Uh, but it's interesting then at the end of the movie it's so significant to have that one little extra scene where she's like, well, now you need to uh, drive however you want. Yeah. And she's just, you know, she's, she's seeing the, uh, the limitations of, of what she can control, but the humor in her character, uh, kind of derives from, uh, those personality traits. And so it's when you see these personality traits mixing with each other, uh, that the humor is kind of at its peak. And I think that's one of the hardest things to do is by definition, we didn't, uh, this, this isn't, this doesn't have, I should say, 
kind of the crutch that a television series has. Yes. When you come into episode, you know, two of a television series, these relationships already exist. And so, you know, this is the person that's going to kind of maybe make the jokes about sex. And this is the person that may make the political jokes. This is the person who's maybe playing the dumb person. And so you kind of already have a feel for that rhythm of the humor because you've seen 59 episodes leading up to that point. But the miracle of doing this in just a couple of hours can't be understated that we didn't know these people from anybody when we sat down at the beginning of the movie and they're just fully realized individuals by the end of it. No, absolutely. Um, and so like to, to hop on to like, uh, the Holly Hunter and the amazingness of her performance, which all three actors, it should be noted. All three actors were nominated for Academy Awards. Like all three of them, like uh, William Hurt, um, he he was nominated for Best Actor. He lost to Michael Douglas's Greed is Good performance in Wall Street. <laughs> um, uh, Albert Brooks lost to Sean Connery's death scene in The Untouchables. And um, right. uh, Holly, he lost to a career. He lost to a career. Lost yeah, he lost to a career. I mean, literally, yeah, okay, Oscar. Yeah. okay, so here, here's the, like, this is the, like, I look back on this, I love Sean Connery, but I look back on this and I go, fuck, this is, you could have given it to any other one of these guys, and they would have been more deserving than Sean Connery in, in The Untouchables, and yeah, you can, don't at me on this one, guys, I don't give a shit, Albert Brooks and Broadcast News, Morgan fucking Freeman and Street Smart, yep. like, Denzel Washington and Cry Freedom. Which also yep. starred William Hurt. And then Vincent Gardena in Moonstruck. So, like, any one of these guys is, like, doing powerhouse performances in in their in their respective movies. And Sean Connery is just doing the Sean Connery yep. thing. Um, and then Holly Hunter loses to Cher in Moonstruck. I mean, like if you're going to give an Oscar to somebody in Moonstruck, you give it to Nicolas fucking Cage. Yeah. That is yeah, Nicolas pretty bad. I I had actually forgotten that. I can't remember if if it was in our last episode or if we were offline at mm -hmm. the time. Uh, but I said something to you about her winning an Oscar for that part. And you were like, oh, no, she didn't win. And I was like, what are you talking about? She won. And, and, <laughs> and then you reminded me that, no, she didn't. And uh, I was like, holy crap, I cannot believe that she didn't win for that role. She was probably the best thing I saw on screen uh, that year, bar anybody. I, I mean, OK, and then let's give you context here. Who Cher won against? Cher in that dress? Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm sipping tea today, fuckers. I don't care. Um, Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. Meryl Streep in Ironweed. And Holly Hunter in Broadcast News. Sally Kirk uh, Kirkland in Anna. I mean, Anna's an okay movie. I mean, that was more of a career thing for Kirkland. Um, but, and then also... That's a heavy hit and mess right there. It, it, right? And share yep. wins. Like, I just like, <laughs> and I, I've wa I watched Moonstruck recently um, because a lot of people were talking about it for some reason. I think it was because AFI did a whole thing of like, you know, the movies we watched together and then everybody started talking about it. But then I watched it and that movie is good for one. Like, if you're gonna like nominate a performance, you gotta nominate Nicolas Cage's performance in that movie. It's so just, it's so just like, theatrical and big and grandiose and like i watched sharon i'm like oh, okay i guess it was because she did a good job and she was sunny and share and now she wasn't i like 1988 uh, 1987 88 was a weird time it's a, it looks like um but holly hunter so did you know that broadcast news was originally written for deborah winger no but you know i mean the terms of endearment you know, connection, yeah. I guess that kind of makes sense. But it makes like so like it makes sense to me, but it doesn't like when I watch I'm not that, saying it fit. Yeah. I'm just saying it, it makes sense that that could be the initial thought. Yes. And the thing is, is that like I watched I mean, there had to have been some kind of like rewrite because Holly Hunter is so perfect as Jane that, like, when I see that, I don't see Deborah Winger doing any of that. Like, it's a completely different performance. And, but the other, the other crazy thing is, is that she was 
like Holly Hunter was cast two days before the production was begin to begin shoot. And it was because Deborah Winger got pregnant. And she had to drop out because she wouldn't be able to make the schedule and not look and they'd have to shoot around her. So she just dropped. And I look at that and I go, Holly Hunter came in. Now, of course, they didn't say it, but I'm pretty sure the production shut down for a couple of weeks to give her the time to do things. But think about this. This is like this is literally right after Raising Arizona. So this is like her second like she goes from Raising Arizona to broadcast news this is her second biggest like this is her biggest like this is like a big time role right right yeah well she 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 took no prisoners exactly like like that's the thing that i i look at and i go fuck that's that's coming in like a goat like that's coming in like hardcore and just owning a owning a role like that shows me like and this is something that happens a lot in brooks's career like there's a lot of weird like production hiccups that happen that force things to shut down like um for whatever reason like and thankfully uh they were able to do this like i guess things weren't working on as good as it gets like the the script and everything they were filming and about halfway through it um they stopped production like sony let them stop production and for like two months brooks and his writer like rewrote the script and reconceived it as the movie it is now like it wasn't initially i've never gotten to see the script but they like you know and it worked now the time that it didn't work and i actually have a little weird story about this is um you know the movie i'll do anything like his his movie Mm -hmm. like the the i guess it's a nick nolte movie where he plays an actor and albert brooks is in it um it's an okay film but it was originally conceived as a musical with music by prince (laughs) i've i was actually at the advance like at the time i didn't know like my mom and me went to go see that like we actually saw the original cut like we're probably one of like maybe a thousand or two thousand people that have seen that original cut with the prince music in it um and it plays like the movie plays more like a simpsons episode than it does like then it does like what the movie it is now, which is kind of like a bad version of Terms of Endearment, but with a single father. Um, and it's just like you know that the Prince music didn't work, or at least they they were told it didn't work, and he changes and radically moves it. It's interesting because I wonder because I've not like I didn't see anything really other than the end of the movie. Um. Like, there's not much that was really, like, talked about, like, you know, production, like, like script changes, radical script changes, other than the ending was always in flux, which um, I was going to ask you, uh, like, this is something we were talking about offline. Um, the ending is the one thing that I feel is the weak link in this movie. Right. Um, It's the last thing three minutes like i feel like it should end with the taxi ride but then it becomes a completely different movie then right yeah yeah it does um like what do you like what do you feel about that ending like do you like the ending or is it something that sticks out to you you know i i honestly think that i would have liked either ending Uh, I, I have, I I mean, in the sense of, I have no problem with ending at the taxi ride, like you're talking about Mm -hmm. and just not explicitly giving us some kind of outcome, you know, because Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I can imagine a variety of things that, you know, might've happened, uh, to these people, but instead he chooses to go with the so many years later, uh, and they have a, you know, little reunion of sorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it makes it to me a happier ending. I mean, you, you see where, you know, people kind of landed on their feet, uh, and things, you know, turned out well for them and, uh, and everything like that. And so, you know, sometimes you wonder when you have something tacked on like that, you know, did somebody get a note somewhere, uh, that said, Hey, you know, this, this is being billed as a comedy. We can't leave in some, 
you know, bleak fashion or some, you know, nebulous kind of outcome of, you know, we got to have ourselves some kind of, you know, genuine ending uh, and, uh, and, you know, makes you wonder if, if that was the ending all along. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it, it's, it's okay. Like I, I don't mind it. It's just, it's, it's one of those things where like, I feel like it's a little bit too clean for a movie that, that doesn't really deal with like clean cut things. If that makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah, no, no, I I agree. There's there's a lot of kind of moral ambiguity and and questions that may not necessarily have right answers. Yes. Uh in the movie uh to then give us a much more definitive ending than the movie itself was along the way. Absolutely. I think that yeah. you you you've definitely put like the the finger on what I was what I was trying to get at. Um it but like, you know, for something that is so like it, it's almost impossible to end this thing correctly. Like I, I I was like that's the one thing that I really did notice is that like it, it's so like it, it's messy in the perfect way. If if that makes sense, like it's like life, like it's just mm-hmm. this is so like messy, messy um, in the way that the all of the relationships collide and bounce off of one another that that this could have been like a TV series where things just continually just move on. And I think that that's the whole thing for me is that it's <clears throat> it's ending is all about the whole thing of like life goes on like no matter what it, it's like the Beatles song like the cliche of the Beatles song like life goes on um because it does like Aaron has a kid he goes off to he goes off to Portland like he said like you know he goes off to Portland and and he becomes a father and he has a wife uh Holly Hunter is still single because she's doing her career thing I mean like you know what's his name comes back um uh, Tom comes back and uh, like he's back from London and he's taking over the the news and like I guess somewhere in between him and Jane have made up over this like you know like what I feel like is an unforgivable to Jane like that at least to me as a like a character like what he did was like the unforgivable you know because she's she holds news in such high regard um sure but at the same time, it's like, you know, I guess people change and soften. Um, uh, one of the things I did want to talk to you about, which is so funny, like, like to me is like, um, my, one of my favorite scenes that I, I didn't get to talk about was the, the moment where Aaron gets left out of the Gaddafi news and he goes back to his apartment. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, like it's one of my favorite just character moments ever because it's just, yep. it's, like you watch Brooks and this is what Brooks specializes in um, is these moments that are so human, a, a side of embarrassing, but not because they're how human they are. Like he does this in his directing work. That's just amazing. Like uh, there's that scene in um, and I hope it, it, it isn't true. If I, if I end up in heaven uh, is in defending your life, you know, like the, the, the thing where they make him watch all of the most embarrassing moments of his life, the Pratt falls, all of the stupid things. Right. That's like Alp Brooks's like career in a nutshell is like the whole thing of like, you're by yourself. And it's those moments that you were by yourself doing weird shit, like listening to Serge <laughs> Gainsborough. And my favorite thing is, is that I think I've actually done it. Uh, is take the orange concentrate and the vodka and mix it together. Like that's something like I've, I think mm-hmm. I've actually done, but it's like so funny. Like he puts on the most random, like, it's not like he's putting on, it's not like he's putting on some like sad bastard. Like it is sad bastard right. music. Cause it's Serge right. Gainsborough, but it's like Serge Gainsborough. And then he's singing along with it. And he's just, yep. it's just this moment where you go, Oh man, this dude, but I've been there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and that's, and, and that's the whole thing. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked about it and it's been a theme throughout our discussions with, you know, comedy 
is relatability. Yes. You know, you've, you've got to be able to either see, you know, yourself or somebody, you know, uh, in some of these people to really connect. And so that's what to me is, is the mastery of a great comedy is that you can create very specific, unique individuals in a film that are kind of unlike characters that you've seen, you know, in countless other films. And yet at the same time, they're universal enough that you're like, Oh my God. Well, like I told you, I mean, I said my wife is very akin to some of the habits uh, of the Holly Hunter character. And, you Mm -hmm. know, you can think, you know, my dad is like this or this person's like that. I mean, we all have people uh, that we work with that are in our families or whatever that we can kind of relate to some of these character traits, even if we don't have them. And, uh, and so there is some kind of, you know, just incredible kind of high wire act to creating very singular characters that have this universal, uh, identifiability. Absolutely. Like, and, and that's, I guess that's the, where I feel like, like broadcast news is the apex of like smart, intelligent comedy. And it just never was the same after this is that it gets it right. It gets it a hundred percent, right? Like everything about it is perfectly constructed and um, why it was nominated for, you know, seven Academy awards and it, and it made money. Like it wasn't like it was a, it was a non hit. I mean, it made money like once the, like it was designed to be like one of those awards contenders mm-hmm. that well, mm-hmm. that we rarely get nowadays um, that like gets the nominations, then it's released and then it makes yep. its money. Um, yeah, yep. absolutely. It, it, uh, it kind of had, you know, that initial run and then nominations and then kind of the quote unquote re-release that went into theaters and really made the box office. Exactly. And uh, like, I, I don't know, like, it, it's just you don't like you don't get these kinds of comedies I, I don't I can't think of like I was trying to think of making a recommendation of a modern comedy that's like this. Um and there's lit- like I can't think of one that's like that's like on this level. I, do yeah. you have do you have a suggestion? No, no, I mean, you know, I would I it's not like this film, but that was one of the reasons that you and I were so attracted to Game Night. That's true. Is, yeah. It's got all these very well-realized individuals and the humor comes from their interaction with one another. And then it's just super smart. I mean, it's just got, you know, these, you know, great, everything from great physical gags to, you know, great one liners to, to, you know, great late payoffs in the movie for something that was set up really early in the movie. And so intelligence wise, uh, I think something like game night is the modern day kind of air uh, to the the broadcast news throne, it just doesn't ins- uh, aspire to having the resonance that broadcast news does. It's it's not the dramedy uh, approach to things. It's just an out and out comedy uh, that's hoping to make you laugh as much as possible. No, absolutely true. That's true. And then there's a modern comedy that we're talking about um, in a few in a few episodes that definitely is like you know of this kind of ilk. Um, it, I mean, it just came out this summer. It's streaming. You guys can f- figure out the guess, the guesswork there. But um, actually, we're we're actually changing it up next week. But before we get to next week's episode, um, Scott, is there any other uh, there are any other thoughts about broadcast news that we want to bring into this before we wrap everything up? Um, no, not really. I I think we, I think we did it justice. Uh, and it, I guess the one recommendation that I would make is, uh, if you see it and for whatever reason, it doesn't strike your fancy, give it another try, give it some time and then give it another try. Because I personally found it to be a movie that became funnier with repeated viewings. That, that some things maybe didn't land as hard the first time because maybe you didn't know the characters yet. But when you're not, quote-unquote, distracted by what's going to happen next, who's going to wind up with whom, what is the outcome of all of this going to be, and you can kind of settle into the lines uh, and and the premise and, and the, the creation of the characters 
uh, I think it honestly becomes funnier with a subsequent viewing. So I would think that that it would land, you know, from from word go. Uh, but if it doesn't, you know, go away from it for a little while and try it again uh, and see if it doesn't work even better the second time. I could not think of a better recommendation, especially for somebody who doesn't like who finds themselves to be out outside looking into this film. That that would definitely be something that I would say, because, yeah, the the whole thing of the triangle and how things end up could distract you from what the film is really kind of what the what the film is really kind of doing uh, and what it's trying to do. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. So, Scott, where can people find you this week on the inter- Internet? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can uh, be found on Twitter at M Scott underscore Phillips. Uh, I do video reviews for WRBL.com, and uh, then I actually do written work for TheMovieIsle.com, and uh, actually posted a recent review from the Japan Cuts Film Festival uh, of a really good movie to to keep an eye out for out there on the uh, virtual cinemas and what have you that are popping up online. Absolutely. Um, and by this point, uh, we sh- uh, you're going to start seeing content from Fantasia uh, on the movie aisle. So you can always follow us on Twitter and Instagram for the for the movie aisle. It's just the movie aisle uh, is the Twitter handle for both of them. And you'll be able to be uh, linked directly to articles about Fantasia, which is like, you know, uh, a major Canadian film festival about genre. And it will kind of give you an idea of the stuff that's coming up in the next couple of months or even a couple of years that's going to be out. It's a great film festival. I've already started to watch some stuff uh, as we're recording this in some good stuff. Uh, and then also uh, the B movie, uh, the B movie podcast is uh, the letter B, the word movie, the word pod, uh, uh, B movie pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh more Instagram on both sides because they're, uh, you know, it's just, it's a little bit more active, but, uh, but the B movie pod landing, uh, it's more of a landing page for, uh, uh, Twitter because it just tells you when the, the episodes are dropped, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then with that, we are completely changing up, uh, this comedy, the summer of comedy. Uh, we're going from one of the most intelligent comedies to, um, a comedy that's smart, but it's stupid. Oh, uh, <laughs> we're, we're talking about the best bowling movie of all time. Uh, that would be Kingpin, uh, Bobby and Peter Farley before one of the Farley brothers was an Academy Award winning <laughs> filmmaker. Um, <laughs> and we're talking about possibly definitely their most underrated film, um, it might be up to for debate as to if it's their best, but it's definitely ounce for ounce a great comic film, and we'll be talking about that next week. So until next time, we will talk to you soon. It starts off with this very high-tech synthosequency type thing, like this. That's the news. Wasn't Tom great? Well, it worked. Worked.